Welcome to the Spoken Gospel Podcast. This is our attempt to speak the gospel out of every corner of Scripture. We believe every part of the Bible, Old Testament and New, is about Jesus. And this podcast is our experiment to publicly test that belief. Let's jump in. All right, everyone. Well, welcome to the Spoken Gospel Podcast. Thank you for joining us. Seth, welcome, how you feeling welcome. today? Feeling, feeling I've, the, I've got the right level of caffeine, but the wrong level of food. So I'm just feeling <laughs> a little jittery and a little, <laughs> a little, it's a fine balance. Two it cups really of is. coffee and two pieces of toast is not the right balance. No, so, definitely, got, nef- actually, definitely not a toast to coffee one for one. That's not the way no, to go. No, no, no. So I've got to, I've got to figure out some something better for next time but it's a lifelong journey it really is you'll figure it out one day <laughs> well we're, con- we're continuing oh my is a lifelong journey not it so is. much the law of god in mm-hmm. relationships the rest of my life but coffee food you gotta figure it out man gotta figure that out oh man but anyway so, so we are um continuing in uh deuteronomy this is our second episode in the book of deuteronomy and uh, we kind of started last week with um, an introduction to Deuteronomy, looking at its uh, overall theme, its setting, um, its message. And then we kind of looked at chapters one to three and looked at how Moses was unpacking Israel's history uh, and how they got to this point and why that matters. And then now Moses is kind of turning the ship from looking backwards to now he's starting to look forwards and he yep. uh, is going to, we're going to really camp out in the the law and especially in the the moment that the Ten Commandments were given back in Exodus 19 and 20. And so that's kind of what he harps on here. Um, yeah. What do you think, Seth? Is that a decent setup for what we're about to yeah, do? Yeah, that's exactly right. Moses is, is trying to make clear and pastorally apply the teachings of the first four books of the Torah to this new generation. Mm-hmm. And he's continuing that right now in chapter four. Um, he's drawing on, he's drawing out and pulling on lessons that Israel should have learned, particularly in Exodus 19 to 33, like their time at Sinai. So like chapter four and chapter five, and even chapter six to a certain extent is all kind of drawing out lessons from Israel's time, that one year they spent at Mount Sinai. So this mm-hmm. is about law. This is about God's presence. This is about obedience. Uh, obedience and wisdom, all themes that uh, they should have picked up, the fear of the Lord, all things that were talked about in Exodus uh, 19 through 33. Yeah. And so the the focus even says at the top of chapter four, he says, and now, O Israel, listen. You know, this is kind of this big section header here where he wants to talk to them about the statutes and the rules that he's about to teach them. And this is really four all the way through 11 is like an extended prologue to the rest of the book, which is going to, you know, talk about all the different laws and commands and practical ways that Israel's to live out the Ten Commandments. This is this prologue, which is really helpful. And I think because it kind of gives us the why behind the law. And I think that's really good. I think with the law uh, and like rules, it can often just be how, you know what I mean? Like, it's just all about like, do this, do this, do this. But like, why? (laughs) Let's get underneath it a little bit and understand why we're doing this. So it's probably helpful then to talk about that word, like hear and listen. 
in in like the original Hebrew. Because for us, that kind of like we have this idea of like I'm listening, mm-hmm. and that's me consuming information, like or like understanding something. But for Moses's audience, for this next generation, like listening and hearing involves a lot more than that. It actually includes obedience within mm-hmm. listening. Because if you're you're not because it proves that you're not listening if you don't obey. <laughs> right. Like if God is speaking to you and you're merely listening, you're not actually listening to what the Lord is saying. Because the right. sovereign God of the universe who designed you, has made promises to you, and has given you a land, is telling you how to live. So you can't merely listen to the laws of God. You must listen and obey. <laughs> like, right. Yeah, it's kind of like it's a little bit like what we what we say. It's like I I think you are hearing me, but you're not listening to me. <laughs> yes. Right? yes. You ever said that to your yes. kids? <laughs> I think my wife says it to me. <laughs> <laughs> that's awesome. Yeah, and so there is this, and and that's also a really helpful thing to talk about. Um, just for the the what we're going to probably be covering as a whole today, because we tend to separate. Um, hearing and obeying into two different categories. And um, as I'm sure as we go through this episode and we talk about the the relationship between Israel obeying God's law and Israel receiving life and staying in the land because they're obeying, I think we're going to want to like put those in two camps and be like, so which one is it? Is it God's grace or their their obedience that's allowing them to stay into the land? And that's right. it's wrong to separate those things just as it's wrong to separate hearing and obeying like god is saying like all this goes together you're going to listen to it you're going to listen to me you're going to obey me you're going to have life all this is going together and so whenever moses says listen he's saying obey but i also think he's saying like literally listen and and like meditate rehearse remember because he's gonna that's gonna be a huge theme throughout these couple of chapters is to constantly be remembering uh, and constantly uh, let your heart listen and re-listen to the story of God giving you these commandments and what these commandments are in content. Yeah, we've already had this idea in like the liter- like the calendar year, like the holy year, the holy time. Like there's this repetitive ritualistic thing that happens when you repeat God's laws and live in God's time that actually changes you and forms you into mm-hmm. God's people. That doesn't just doesn't happen with the calendar. It happens like with the very laws themselves. If you forget them you will um, forget God. Like, yep. and, you know. So I think listen was definitely one, one good thing to, to highlight. Um, maybe this, this first sentence of chapter four, verse one is really good for us to pick apart here because it sets up a lot of good categories. So the next, uh, maybe we should also look at statutes and rules. And then yeah. I also want to look at uh, that you may live and go in and take possession of the land. So like, because those are two big themes here. All good things. All good things. So whenever Moses is talking about statutes and rules, what is he referencing? He's referencing um, not just the Ten Commandments, which is this Mm. kind. This is kind of a preamble for because we're going to get to a retelling of the Ten Commandments in chapter five. Mm -hmm. But it's also everything that God told Moses on the mountain. Like I think he's referring to all the laws of God that are recorded in Exodus, Leviticus, and Numbers. Yeah, and, right. and even, yeah, I, I definitely think so. And I think it's really hard to, Moses doesn't quite separate the narrative of God's saving, loving, gracious action from the commands that he gives based on those actions. And so I think it's also fair to yeah. say that the statutes and the rules is is God telling them to remember all of all that God has done and commanded, mm-hmm. that, that right. we don't want to Which separate would, the fact why? that God saved them 
listening and obeying are so tightly connected because redemption and mm. commands are like also intimately related. You cannot be redeemed from death to go back into living like death. This is what Paul says. Like mm-hmm. those who like Romans 6, 1, like should we who have died to sin continue to live in sin? By no means. Like right. there is a, when we are redeemed from slavery, when we are redeemed from death, that re- act of redemption comes with implications that we cannot but obey and do. Mm-hmm. Listen and obey, be redeemed and act like it. Like those things are all connected. So it makes sense that you can't necessarily like separate God's salvation from God's commands. Yeah, I think that's really helpful. Okay, and then the, the next thing I want to look at in this opening sentence is, um, and do them that you may live and go in and take possession of the land that the Lord your God, um, the God of your fathers, is giving you. So there's this, uh, I'm going to use this word, and we might want to clarify it, and it might not be the right word, but you there's sure. this this conditional aspect to them going in and taking the land. And it's like, if you obey these commands, then you will stay in the land. And then later in chapter four, he's going to say, but if you don't, I'll spit you out of the land. You'll be kicked out and exiled from the land. And so um, there's this, you know, I, I've already said it's it's really hard to not separate these two things. You know, just God's gracious gift of the land and their obedience. They, they go hand in hand for some reason. Right. And I think God's probably trying to get us to see a picture of something he's doing with putting those together. What do you what think? Do you, ha- what, I, what do you think's happening here? What do you think's happening? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, it's like this. This if if like if we talked about last time that they are going into a new Eden, you know, right? And uh, part of the land of Eden was this tree of the knowledge of good and evil, where uh, we where God has told us what good and evil is, and He's He's command given them commands: don't eat from this tree. And they are to obey God's commands, and then they will live in the land of Eden. Right. There's there's this dependence on God that goes along with living with God, um, and it has to do with what he's commanding. So it just feels like, again, that the Torah is now this new um, commandment of God, and they're not supposed yeah. to go try to seek out their own wisdom, but live by the wisdom of God instead. Yeah, and I think, too, I mean, what we're talking about is God's covenant with Israel. And so God's mm-hmm. made a covenant with Adam and Eve. Like you may remain in the land if you eat of the, do not eat of this, this tree he made a covenant with Noah and with Abraham and with Israel again. And like what's common in all of those covenants are both like God's unconditional promises and conditions upon which those promises are built. Yeah. And so the, that tension that we're trying to talk about is actually inherent in all of the covenants. And that tension isn't really resolved until we get to Christ, where and even then, like the covenant that we have with G- with God is still conditional upon our faith in him, mm-hmm. right? So it's like there's never a moment in the biblical story where the blessings of God's covenant are not unconditionally promised, but at the same time are conditioned upon our trust and our belief in him, Right. right. Yeah, no, I would agree with that. I think there there is something intrinsic to the nature of of the covenants that God makes with humanity um, that point to why they are there in the first place. I think that God wants relationship, and that God wants co laborers, and that God wants participants. Like that yeah. goes all the way back to the garden. Like God, like God yeah, did not like, just make people to do nothing. You know, like He wanted yeah. them to exist alongside Himself in a way. Yeah, there's like a mutuality to our yeah. relationship with God. And we've seen that throughout the Torah. Like 
people will come to God saying, "Hey, there's this contingency that you did that we did not you did not tell us about. What would you have us do?" So, like with Zelophehad's daughters, or with the men who are impure uh, during Passover, they come and they are making together laws for the land with God. Like God has always wanted to be in a partnership with His people. That's part of what we're seeing here. Yeah, definitely. I think one other thing I want to point out as we're talking about this is the the parallel that we can see between um, the commandments, the tablets of the commandments that have been in the Ark of the Covenant up to this point, and then going into the land. Uh, so uh, I was reading one commentator, uh, his name's Telford Work, and he, he talked about how the commandments had already been recorded but they had not yet been received. Like they had been written down, oh, but the people had not yeah. yet believed them yet and started obeying been them. And so, but not obeyed. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. They had separated the Shema, the, the, the command to listen, you know? And so they were carrying around the presence and territory of God with the commands of God in the center. And as the older generation broke those commands, they were exiled from the presence of God through death, right? That, right. I mean, we've we've seen this conditionality play out in the book of Numbers, and now that they're going into the land, God is is making the law central again. Not necessarily, although it will be in the the uh, the Ten Commandments will be in the, the the Ark of the Covenant. He is making them philosophically and theologically central to the life of the people by saying, "If you obey these commands, then we'll live together in this land." So it, and so, so what yeah. you're saying is like there's like a re-emphasis or a new emphasis in Deuteronomy where there was this, in the old generation, they failed to take the law of God into their hearts in a certain way. And here yes. in Deuteronomy, we see Moses trying to press the truth of God's law deeper and deeper into their hearts in a new, in, a, some, in some kind of new way. Is that kind yep. of what you're saying? Yeah, definitely. Okay. I think, and I, and I think it's all meant to be these visual symbols of what God is trying to do with his people and the law. Like he put the law inside the Ark of the Covenant, which is at the center of the camp. And he's like, look, I've revealed my will to you. Center your life around it. And then yeah. now he's saying, as you go into this new land, center your life around my law. Mm -hmm. And then even in the new in the new covenant with Jesus, like he's like, a new command I give you, you know, yeah. love your neighbor as I have loved you. You know, and maybe that's why here in Deuteronomy, and this is another important like facet of the conversation in Deuteronomy 4, is that it's not just laws and statutes, but it's also referred to as wisdom so verse six yes. keep them and do them for that will be your wisdom and your understanding in the sight of the peoples meaning the other nations who when they hear all these statutes statutes will say surely this great nation is a wise and understanding people what great nation is there that a god is so near to it as the lord our god is to us whenever we call upon him so mm -hmm. i think the so i think what you're saying is one of the ways that moses doesn't add to the law, but like deepens Israel's understanding of the law is to take it and place it in their hearts as wisdom. This is the way that uh, the Lord has designed the world to work. And when you live this way, the nations of the world will see how great our God is. They'll see that yes. he comes near to you and lives with you. He, they'll see that he, you are a wise and understanding people. You're a nation of justice and that your God is above all other gods. Yes. And I, I love this passage so much that talks about, because this is one of those things I was talking about with the why of the law. Why do we obey the law? One of the reasons that, that Moses gives here is it's so that you might be seen as wise and understanding among the people so that 
they will then go and worship God. They'll say, who has a God like Israel does, who's so near to them, right? Like right. they'll, they'll, they'll be astonished by God's nearness. And so it's like, I had some questions about this. Okay. I think it's really interesting. So one, how does God's uh, law, how does Israel obeying God's law show God's nearness? Like, you know, those things are very, they don't seem like they go together, but. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. You get what I mean? But I think the, I think the correlation is, oh, God gave you these laws. These are laws from God. He must have been really close. Like as Moses talked to him, as one person talks to another, he must have been very near to actually speak to you and give you these laws. He's not some far off God that you don't know what his will is. And he seems capricious. He's revealed himself to you in his law. And to go back to our comment about mutuality, it says, what God is so near to us, verse 7, as the Lord our God is to us, whenever we call upon him, like Mm -hmm. there's an expectation that within the law of God, there's an expectation that the people of God would come to God as well and pray to him and God would respond from the the cloud, from the temple to their requests. Um, Yeah. Yeah, I love that. Okay, and then the other thing about the God's nearness is, so all the other nations have idols, right? They have fake gods and idols, and if Israel obeys the law, they're supposed to marvel at God's nearness. And I, when I read that, I was like, wait a second, like, aren't idols really near? Like, they live in your house, some of them, right. and they're made out yeah, of the yeah. same material that, you know, you're used to, and they even are, like, projections of yourself and your society. They even look like you. So it's like, it seems like idols are very, very, very near, but he says that God is infinitely nearer, and the nations will, like, notice that. And I was like, man, how much nearer could God make himself than the idols that were in people's homes? Like, and, and how was that going to be demonstrated through Israel's obedience to the law? Right. That was just an interesting question I, I, I had. So you're saying like, well, how, why, like in the rest of the lands, they could have a little mini idol of their gods in their homes at any one time. And the God of Israel, as we're told in verse 12, has no form, but yet spoke to them on the mountain. How is that God supposed to feel nearer than the one that mm-hmm. you can place on your shelf? Is that the question yep. you're asking? Yeah. And like, I, I have to feel like, so in, in chapter four, uh, 28, it says that their idols, uh, neither see nor hear nor eat nor smell like their idols can't do anything. And right. by, by is by Israel obeying God's revealed law, they are showing that God is active. He's been talking mm-hmm. and listening to their prayers and responding and he accepts their sacrifice, right? Kind of like that idea of eating. Like, you know, he it's a fragrant right, right, right. aroma to him. He's smelling. Like all of these laws are supposed to show God's nearness and activity in the world in a way that idolatry cannot. So what Moses is saying to the new generation is that when you obey the laws of God, you prove that God is living and active and personal and close. Yeah. Because whenever you obey the other gods, they do nothing. They say nothing. Right. They sit on your shelf and that's it. You carve them out of a piece of wood or you burn them. Like there's nothing there. But when you obey God, he brings you into the land. Like mm-hmm. when you obey God, he acts, he responds, he speaks. So obey. <laughs> like that, yeah. is that kind of what we're, like, Moses is trying to impress? Like yeah, we definitely. have a living God, so obey him. Yeah. And I also think that like the physical um, stuff of Israel actually living out God's law in the world manifests God's presence with people. Like they are God's liaisons to the world. 
they are they've been made in his image and now they are been now they've been given his will so they are getting to bring god's presence to earth in a way by living out his law and jesus and the other new testament authors pick up on this idea in the new testament um you know it, it talks about like um so li- live your life so holy among the gentiles that they see your good deeds and glorify your father in heaven you know i think it's paul that says that yeah and then jesus says that um how will they know that i have been sent from the father it's by your love for one another right, right. and it's and like John. as we yeah, as we live out God's revealed will in the world, as we look like God or in the present day, as we look like Jesus, we are proving to the world that Yahweh is a near God that is so much mm-hmm. better than every other false God, idolatrous system or false religion. We are proving to them yeah. that God is near and that God is good and wise because of the way we live. So like, that's amazing. It's amazing. So when it says in verse six, the nations of the world will say, this is a wise and understanding people. What you're saying is that's actually fulfilled in Jesus when he says mm-hmm. things like, they will know me based on your love for one another. Like it's the fulfillment of that command, not just by obeying the laws of God, but by following and trusting Jesus, who is the embodiment and the perfection of those laws, the fulfillment of those yes. laws. Okay. Yes. And then, and I think that the New Testament intensifies that promise because it's not only that they, that, that they are like, oh, there is this God in heaven who must surely be near because he's revealed himself with such good laws. We are actually called God's body here mm, on earth, yeah. the body of Christ. And we are indwelt with his very actual presence. Like he has invaded the world right. in his actual presence. And so he's literally on earth near us, ministering to people whenever we obey his law and love others as he has loved us. I've heard it said this way, like in Israel, the way that God's gospel, the way that the good news of his laws was like his redemption of Israel was proclaimed was come and see, come look at Israel, see the wisdom and the justice of this nation, see the God that is there react acting for, on their behalf. But for us as Christians, it's go and tell like we have the temple of God living inside of us. The nation of God is anywhere. There is a church and so we go to the nations of the world and proclaim his presence. And as we go there, the same thing happens. They see the goodness of the Lord and they come to know him. Yeah, definitely. I think that's uh, actually, I'm going to just cut it there and let that in. Okay, so what we have then in this first, really the first eight verses of Deuteronomy 4 is Moses encouraging them, hey, if you obey, God will respond. If you obey, if you listen and obey, the Lord will come near to you. You will enter into the land. And then he takes rather a long time to say, but take care, make sure you beware of disobedience. (laughs) So, Mm. I mean, in verse nine, he says, only take care and keep your soul diligently, lest you forget the things that your eyes have seen, lest they depart from your heart all the days of your life. Um, verse 15, therefore watch yourselves very carefully since you saw no form on that day that the Lord spoke to you on Sinai, uh, beware you act, beware lest you act corruptly. Verse 16. Um, and then he goes on and talks about at the very end, um, this kind of prophecy that if they don't obey, they won't actually inherit the land. They'll be kicked out of the land. Um, so yeah, so I want to kind of focus in on this next section on, not just the promise that God responds to obedience, but the promise that God will respond to disobedience as well. Mm, 
Yeah, that's interesting. They, so, yeah, so what, what we talked about last section is if you obey, you enter the land. But now we're talking about if you disobey, you'll be kicked out of the land. That's the the conditionality yep. of this collaborative yes. relationship. Okay. So why does God not only respond to obedience, but responds to disobedience? Yeah, and, that's and maybe, a great question. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, because, I mean... <laughs> Part of me feel like that's an obvious response. Like yeah. it's an obvious question, but it's also making me think a little bit more than I thought it would. Like the reason God responds to obedience is because it's right. Like God has designed the world, God has created laws, and He expects them to be obeyed. And when you don't obey those things, obey those laws, obey His created design, you obviously come afoul of God's creative purposes, but also His like His will and His desire for your life at all like Mm. you must obey if god commands something obedience should be your response and if you disobey you should expect punishment or you should expect discipline um because that's the way he's designed things that's the way he's that's why he wants you to live your creator is asking you of something and you can't Mm. live otherwise yeah so i'm hearing two answers in there so the one answer i'm hearing is that God has designed the world in such a way that um, his obeying his will fits in with the fabric of creation. So this right. is That's kind the of the wisdom side of it. Here, yep. Yeah. Uh, but and then and and so what he does is he blesses those who obey. Uh, in, in generally speaking, in order right. in order to emphasize the fact that they are living in harmony with him. So an example would be if you have a strong work ethic, you should expect to get paid well. And for people to respect you like that's part of the created fabric of the universe god's wisdom is if you work hard good things happen if you don't kill your neighbor you'll have a good relationship with your neighbor (laughs) right like like that's the wisdom of the world right and then the opposite side of that is if you go antithetical or opposite to the fabric of creation against the grain of the of the world god's made god's going to send punishment in order to emphasize the fact that you're breaking his law and breaking his good creation if you're greedy for money or wealth, you'll probably find that you alienate yourself from a lot of friends and family because you've stepped on them to get ahead yourself. You'll mm-hmm. find yourself greedy people find themselves alone and miserable. Like right. that's the that's wisdom. The way that God's designed the world is for you not to be greedy and for you to be generous. And when you run afoul of that, you experience loneliness, isolation, and ultimately death. Right. And then the the other thing I heard was that uh, it was kind of like this God as lawgiver and judge, which was a different thing. Yes. And it was like God has given rules that must be obeyed. And when they're not, God has not only the right, but maybe even um, an obligation to punish people who don't obey those. Maybe yes. unpack that one a little bit. Well, if God says something is good and you don't do it, you're you're disobeying you're going against you're rebelling against the sovereign of the universe and he's he said there's consequences to that Mm -hmm. i mean like i think if a king makes an edict and you disobey the king that's called treason and you're you're thrown in prison (laughs) when the sovereign of the universe makes a decree and you disobey it that's called treason and you're Mm -hmm. punished for it like it's i think that's the way that you should those are the two sides because God is both creator and lawgiver, both of those things are true all the time. Yeah. There are punishment when you don't obey his edicts, and there are the natural consequences for running afoul of the way that God's designed the world. 
Yeah. And I think we need to then take those two ideas and and kind of localize them into the uh the the time and space that this all was spoken because this is this is definitely for us you know romans tells us that but this is also for israel and god was making a covenant people to take them into a covenant land and so what he was wanting to do was if god is really about the business of recreating eden so that he can live alongside human beings as covenant partners then what he's doing is he wants his territory, his land to be free from evil, to be free from pain, to be free from violence. He wants it to be free from illness and punishment and wickedness. And in order yeah. to do that, he needs a people who are going to uh, live well in the land, to act justly and equitable or towards one another. And, and and like that is the people that he wants to live with. And so if they obey all those, they'll live in the land because that is how Eden, the 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 right. the garden temple of god functions if they don't they'll be kicked out because that's not the new world that god is creating yes i think all that's true generally and that's what we should think and have in the back of our mind but really specifically in deuteronomy 4 4 this command to keep watch and to take care and to not disobey is really tightly linked specifically to idolatry so mm -hmm. twice already we're told you saw no form on on mount sinai so do not make yourself a carved image, verse 16, for yourself in the form of any figure or likeness of male or female, the likeness of any animal on the earth, the likeness of any winged bird that flies in the air, the likeness of anything that crawls on the ground, the likeness of any fish that's in the water and under the earth, so, or, or if anything in the skies and the heavens. So specifically, yeah. God, God, and what's funny about all that language is that all that's taken from Genesis 1. So mm -hmm. like all those like little phrases. So God is saying, take care because if you do not take care to obey my laws, what you will end up doing is taking and putting in my garden images and idols that are false. And I think potentially what we're supposed to think of here, we talked about this all the way back in um, Exodus 20 when we talked about the Ten Commandments for the first time, is the only image that we are told that exists are human beings they are god's right we are the image of god the idol of god yeah and then jesus too is the image and the idol of god yep so in whom all the, the people are of god was pleased to dwell yeah so what we're seeing i think here in this like make sure that you obey do not create false images do not create false idols is the idea that in god's garden there should be only one representative of god and that is jesus christ and that is those who are made in his image Right? Like we yes. are new creations in Christ Jesus. In the new Eden, we will be new creations in Christ, the one image and idol of God, and there shall be no others. Yeah. So I think we can talk about like justice and equity and making sure we don't disobey those laws and commands. But specifically here, we Moses has in mind, like, do not create for yourself false idols, false images of who God is and what he's like. Mm -hmm. anywhere, anything in your heart. Otherwise, you will not be the new creation. You will not enter into the new Eden because there's only one image, Jesus Christ. Yeah, totally. Uh, yeah, there's two things I want to pick up on what you've said. One is uh, these these commands to take care, to keep your soul diligently. Do start back in verse 9 before the transition statement. Therefore, watch yourselves carefully. So right. I do think he, he is wanting us to take all of the laws and commandments that he's been talking about since verse 1 and to take care to obey them. Uh, yes. even, he even mentions all of the Ten Commandments in verse 13 before he starts talking about idolatry. So this is yes, the big, the big mamma jamma, obey all of this. 
and you'll be creating this new Garden of Eden with God, right? Yes. But then he drills down, like you said very well, into um, idol making, uh, which is which really cover some of the first three commandments, you know, uh, and yeah. uh, and so it's a big deal. Uh, and I loved the image of this being like. Uh, pulling on the garden of Eden imagery where it was like, yeah. you know, on day one, God made this. And on day two, God made this. And it's like, you could imagine God walking in the garden in the cool of the day and Adam just walking around with a lizard in his hand that God made. And just like being like, this is the creator of the world. <laughs> and just like worshiping it. Like how stupid is that? And I think that's the image he's trying to make. Like God made all these things in the garden. Remember that story? And like, right. imagine if they just started worshiping rocks instead. Like, they how dumb! Fruit, all my happiness comes from this fruit. I'm like, yeah. like the creator is walking right yeah. next to you, <laughs> right? And so, uh, I want to like combine all of those into, especially, especially this idolatry one, into into a place that I think would be really cool for us to talk about how Jesus fulfills them, um, because uh, the reason why there is still punishment for sin today. And the reason why when Jesus returns to punish sin once and for all, to separate the weeds and the wheat, the sheep from the goats, the saved and the unsaved, um, the reason why he's going to do that is because he is creating a new heavens and a new earth in which man and God live together. And there is no evil. There is no inequity. There is no violence. There is no pain. And and so like all the Ten Commandments are, are creating this perfect environment in which we are um, living like God on God's earth. And then what's yeah. amazing is Revelation talks about the fact that when Jesus comes and makes this space, wh wh where's, the, where's the temple? Where's any other image other than the one image of God? It is only in Jesus Christ. He, he fills all in all. Uh, even the sun and the stars go away, which are mentioned here, because only Christ alone has light. He, he so overpowers it. And so it's just amazing that like all of this that God is wanting to create here through Israel on the banks of the Jordan as they enter Canaan is created ultimately in Jesus and the new heavens, the new earth. Why don't idolaters get to live in the kingdom? Hmm. Like, what would it mean for God to say there are you can have no images? So let's just say we let's just say we've entered into the new kingdom. Okay, we've entered into the new Eden. The only image there should be is that of God Himself, of Jesus Christ. What would it mean for somebody to love an idol? Like, why can't an idolater live in that space? Hmm. Does that make sense? Like, I'm trying to like I want to stay in the imagery of idolatry. Yeah. There, like what what would why can't a non-believer an idolater of something somebody who believes in something that is god that's not be in a space where no idols are allowed hmm. man i i have two answers i'm not in love with either of them okay but uh one is it goes back to the the wisdom conversation we had that there is something in the fabric of this new kingdom that is God is central and there is no other God. And it's like everyone walks around with this, this assumption and this underlying presupposition that God in his image is at the center. And if you have this one person walking around looking anywhere else, but the center, he is breaking that, that system that yeah. all revolves around the one image of God in Jesus. I can um, imagine like that yeah. little scenario you set up, like 
in this this hypothetical <laughs> garden yeah. of Eden that we've set up where there's yes. a pe- bunch of people worshiping God, but also a yep. bunch of people picking up lizards and saying, look at this lizard. This is what brings me happiness and joy. Study its scales. Look at its claws. Look at its feet. It can climb up walls. Isn't this amazing? <laughs> can I, I can imagine like somebody worshiping the lizard, also drawing other people to worship the lizard as well and say, look at how amazing it is and bring other people to like stare at it. And all that time, the creator of the lizard stands right next door and he's not happy right because people are i'm I'm trying to i really want this image to work but maybe it won't but like (laughs) that's bad right that's bad for the creator to be overshadowed by his creation right isn't that what paul says in romans one that they worship the creature rather than the creator like yeah. that's, a, I mean, that's, that's what, a that's a big deal. Yeah. And that's what uh he says it, Deuteronomy says too, like the likeness of any animal or any of the mm-hmm. creatures that, that God made. Maybe the really simple way to say it is in verse 39, 439. Know therefore today and lay it on your heart that the Lord is God in heaven above and on the earth beneath. There is no other. Mm. Therefore, keep his commands and his statutes. And yep. so yeah. No, no, uh, go for it. Yeah, I just there's there's something I, I was trying to save it for its own little section, but it feels like it's creeping into this conversation. Is I as I was reading rereading through this this morning, I was struck with how often the fear of God is talked about in relationship to the laws that yeah. that the laws are given that the, the the laws that are given and in the way in which the laws were given namely with fire and smoke and with God's voice coming out from a cloud from a mountaintop, like as they teach their children these laws and as they remember these laws and commands, they are to fear the Lord and they're to remember that God is a consuming fire and a jealous God. And it's like, why can't there be idols in this new kingdom God's creating? It's because God would destroy them and everyone who's worshiping them. He's a consuming fire and a jealous God. And like, there's something about the laws that, that, God has given us that are meant to show us God's heart for us and God's heart for his own glory, that there Mm -hmm. are, there is no other God like him and he will not abide any other, uh, rivals, right? He has no rivals. Gather the people to me that I may let them hear my words so that they may learn to fear me all the days they live on the earth. Mm -hmm. So I think what this is doing for me then is saying, if you are an idolater, living in this perfect garden of this hypothetical garden of Eden where you have the creator of the world standing right there, but you're obsessed with the lizard, obsessed with the fruit. What you're actually showing is that you don't fear God. You don't respect God. You yes. don't desire to worship God. And ultimately then you will have no place in his garden temple because all those who don't fear God will not be in his new Eden, will not be in the new nation. Is that what is yeah. like, like fear of the Lord? Like it equals belief in the Lord. Fear of the Lord equals trust in the Lord. Fear of the Lord means I won't create other idols. It means I'll worship one God alone. Mm-hmm. Is that what you're kind of? Yeah. Is that what you're? Yeah, definitely. And I think maybe this is something that can stand in the gap here for us. So, like we've been talking a little bit about the the separation of listening and obeying the, the, we want to, we want to separate grace and, uh, earned obedience and the rewards thereof. We want to, we want to separate like being able to live in the land, but not necessarily being perfect. Like we, I'm just like wondering if there's this why underneath the law that we have really glazed over, especially as 21st century Christians. And that's this fear of the Lord that we, that, that when we read the law, 
um, we are meant to be struck by how big and powerful God is so that we might fear him. Um, like I was, I was just in Minneapolis this weekend preaching to a church camp and it was like 500 kids there. And I just preached through Exodus 32 and 34. And it was really interesting Friday night, right off the bat. I've, I've not been up on stage for more than five minutes and I'm in Exodus 19 talking about God coming down on the mountain with scorching fire and, you know, and like the yeah. kids' eyes are just like huge. And they're like, what usually the youth the youth <laughs> lessons are just like sparkles and rainbows and this guy's talking about a very powerful god a volcano erupting in my yeah. face yeah but it but it um, i mean the whole weekend people were talking about and like thanking me which i don't know why but they were like thank you for not giving us fluff and for actually yeah. preaching the word and i was like man i think people in, in a sense experienced part of the fear of god because he was presented what as do you think, the, yeah, as a help me comes. help me understand fear more because I I think I understand it. I have a lot of synonyms in my mind that I go through, but like if we were to just to look at Israel's history mm -hmm. and just to, let's just say like as as this chapter comes to an end and as we pick it up next time, fear is central to obedience. Fear the Lord so that you may obey. Like what is fear, and why does yeah. it drive us to obedience? So here here's my answer. And it's not going to be maybe the one that most people have heard. Uh, okay. Fear, the best synonym I can give for fear in this context is fear. <laughs> and and here's why I say that. I like think I have being afraid, being like afraid. Being, yes, being, being scared. scared. Here's why. Here's why. Uh, I I'll, I'll have to find the exact verse later. But uh, I I just read it a little bit ago, and God God talks about the fact that when they heard God's voice from the mountain. Uh, they were so afraid. They had fear of the Lord that they sent Moses up alone on the mountain. They said, you go talk to him. We don't want to talk to him. We're too afraid. And I always read that story as a people's lack of faith, that they didn't see that God was both holy, but also right. gracious. Like they weren't seeing all of God. But I was immediately rebuked by this passage because it commended them and said, I wish that you would always have this fear of me in you so that you will obey. Mm -hmm. And it was like, they were so afraid that they did not want to go near this God. That's terror. That is being scared. And yet it is that fear, it's that terror that leads to obedience. And it's like, we don't like to talk about the fact that like, like God's power and, you know, the threat the of The verse punishment. you're talking about is chapter 5, 29. And this is actually a really strange verse because this is like God's heart. Like God mm -hmm. is directly speaking, and I don't think it's recorded in Exodus, but it says no. this. Oh, that this is God saying, oh, which is like it's such an emotive word already. Yeah. Oh, that Israel had such a heart as this always to fear me and to keep my commandments, that I might go well with them and their descendants forever. Like I was struck by that too. It was like, mm -hmm. oh, God's heart, the thing that makes him go, oh, I wish that was true. Mm is for the people to fear him yeah to be a and you're saying that means to be afraid of him well i mean the, the, yeah because the, the context in which that's given is when they would not go near him on the mountain okay but okay i've got different types of fear in my mind so like okay. i can be afraid of something but still want something like, okay, like I, what? I can be afraid of talking to my boss about a conflict I'm having with another employee, 
because there's a lot on the line and I respect my boss a lot and I respect this other employee a lot. And I go to him fearful, but also hopeful and expectant of resolution. I could also be afraid like a jump scare in the middle of a horror movie. (laughs) And like, do do you know what I mean? Like there's this, so I'm trying to figure out like, especially because there's so many invitations like for us to draw close to God, to experience his intimacy and his blessing and his goodness and his kindness, like fear doesn't like being afraid of God doesn't seem to also would normally mean that I don't want to go near him. Does that make sense? Like, is there a type of fear that like, yeah, but I think, I think you're combining like biblical categories that's causing a tension that doesn't need to be there because we're not talking about why do we draw near to God? Right. That's a different conversation. We don't draw near to God because we're afraid of him. We're, We're talking about why do we obey the law? So we're like, I, I think we're, we're I think you're putting together two things that don't need to go together. And let me double down on on the the context here of why I think it's fear, and because they were afraid for their lives. Listen, listen to this. Um, they said, "Behold, this is verse twenty four of chapter five. Behold, the Lord our God has shown us His glory and greatness, and we have heard His voice out of the midst of fire." So there's all this stuff happening. This day we have seen God speak with man, and man still live. Now therefore. Why should we die? For this great fire will consume us. If we hear the voice of the Lord our God anymore, we shall die. For who is there of all flesh that has heard the voice of the living God speaking out of the midst of fire as we have and yet still live? So Moses, you go near the God and you speak to him. And God says that they were right, that if they heard him anymore, if they got any closer, they would die. So they were afraid for their lives. Like this is this is fear, and and I and I don't know why it's something we need to shy away from. Maybe if that's if you're you're feeling a pull and a tension here, why you don't want to talk about it as fear as fear. Maybe help me understand why this is bad, and you don't want to associate this kind of fear with obedience. Be I think because I don't want to be with a person I'm constantly afraid of. <laughs> you know, like I'm trying to like there is because God is a merciful, gracious, slow to anger God. Yes. Mm-hmm. And that draws me to him because he's redeemed me. If I was an Israelite, he'd redeem me out of Israel. So I want to be near him. <laughs> but at the same time, I'm scared of being close to him. Why you know, do you keep I, okay, but why do you keep talking about being near God or not? I'm talking about why we obey God. I know, but it's like <laughs> it's it's they're not unconnected because what are the people afraid of? They're afraid of God's presence. Like when mm-hmm. God's presence rests on the mountain they're afraid. And more than that, the presence that rests on the mountain is now inside me by virtue of the Holy Spirit. Right. That doesn't cause me fear. Like, you know, I'm not afraid of the Holy Spirit that lives inside me. Like it's going to consume me from within. Are you saying I should be? I think that there are two things that are very helpful here to understand that the Bible doesn't hold intention. And it's that the people were afraid, right? And then Moses himself went up into the presence of God, and then in chapter 33, asked for more of the presence of God. And yet when that presence of God showed up, what did he do? He hit the deck in fear. He buried his face in the ground because he was afraid. Like, like there is this, we, I just, what I'm trying to do is press into this to get us to rediscover that God is not a fluffy cloud that we just pass through and we have rainbows shooting out of our eyes when we do. Like that God is an all consuming fire 
You know, like that's in the text no, here. I, yeah. I I mean I I don't have a problem with like the, the with fear meaning something that causes us to tremble, to desire to obey. But like what the most common command in scripture is do not fear, particularly after people come into contact with God's presence or one of his messengers. When an angel shows up, people hit the deck. When God shows up with uh with Saul on the road to Damascus, what's the first command? Do not fear, even though the presence of God is right there. So like I'm trying to wrestle with like, I want fear to motivate me properly, but I don't want it, to, I don't want to overcorrect my and say I must be afraid of God at all times because it doesn't seem like I should be afraid of God at all times in one sense. In one sense it does, and in another sense it doesn't. So I, I, I'm trying, mm -hmm. I'm looking for nuance in the word fear. I want a fear that motivates yeah. me towards obedience, but also a fear that draws me closer into his presence. Does that make sense? Like I want both it of does. those things. It makes a lot of sense. So let's, let's answer this question then. I think this will help us. Should, would you say that a sinner an unrepentant sinner who has not accepted Jesus, um, should they be afraid to enter God's presence? Yes. That would be an appropriate fear because they've not obeyed God's commands. Therefore, they should be afraid of his presence. Would that be yes. true? Yes. Um, on the flip side, since we have um, put our faith in Jesus to um, hide ourselves in the cleft of his rock, to keep us from the... Um, the, the powerful consuming God on the mountain and he has obeyed the commands for us and he's making us people who will one day perfectly obey his commands when we are actually in the presence of God. Should we who have put our faith in that Jesus fear the presence of God in the same way that a sinner should? No, we can no. walk boldly before the throne of grace. Yes, exactly right. right. So can fear be a motivation for faith, obedience, perseverance, and yet when that when we get into the presence of God, doesn't that transform into boldness because mm. of the the fear in our the fear that we've been living with, the the reverence, the submission, the awe, the the, the words that people want to substitute for fear, but the right. fear that we've been living with that has motivated our faith and our perseverance and our obedience, that leads us into fearless entrance. Hmm. Like and so anyway, I think there's I think there's a fear of God, and and we need so, to we need to say the fear of God. The psalmist says is clean, yeah, right. And so it's like it's a good thing, uh, and it can motivate us to obey these commands. But it doesn't keep us out from God's presence. It actually pushes us farther in once mm. we know that those those commandments have been met. And for those of us who are in Jesus, that kind of fear of punishment is gone. We are not talking about a fear of punishment. For those who are in Christ, there is no condemnation. We are talking about a fear that is somehow different than we have human categories for. So that's why I don't want to run to like, do we have an earthly example for this? No, we don't. Because that is the beauty of the gospel and the presence of God, that it will be the most frightful thing we've ever seen in our lives, but we will walk into it with joy and boldness because we are covered in Christ. And that which is a terror to us will become our greatest joy. Like it's mm -hmm. an amazing flip-flop based yeah. on who you are in Christ changes your perception of the presence of God. So would you say then that as an Israelite, you could like actually the only response you could have is fear that is afraid. Like you will always be afraid of God's presence because your sacrifices are actually never enough to cover up the sins. The blood of bulls and goats is not enough 
to atone for the sins of mankind. There's a sense that there's always the looming fear of punishment for an Old Testament saint. Yes, you have you've struck something huge here. This this we should have started here. The reason why the, our categories are getting confused is because we are talking about drawing near to the actual presence of God as new new testament believers. That right was reserved for mm. the high priest. <laughs> he could go into the holy of holies. Like that was reserved for Moses on Mount Sinai. One person, one representative for the whole people like called out by God alone was allowed to come into the presence of God. Everyone else it was right for them to be afraid to obey and to keep their distance. But for now in Christ that is different. The mm -hmm. the holy of holies curtain has been torn open and we can walk boldly into his presence because mm -hmm. these lawful these law these law requirements have been met in Jesus. So the story is different. Fascinating. It really is. So in Christ because of Jesus we can enter into the flaming top of Mount Zion, of Mount Zion, Sinai. Uh, of Mount Sinai. We, we can enter into it unafraid because we are covered by the blood of Jesus's sacrifice that atones mm -hmm. for us perfect, perfectly. What does it does still cause fear because mm -hmm. we're always going to wonder when we're like standing next to the sun if our technology will hold <laughs> like like will our spaceship that gets us to the sun hold in the the fires of god's holiness but ultimately we can sit there and gaze at the power and the beauty of god in a way that the old testament saints never could because of jesus we get to stand in the middle of the fear of god and rejoice Yes, absolutely. And I love too that I think when we do, we will find ourselves being like Moses, who he went up into the thick dark cloud and asked for more. Like he wanted more of God's glory. Exodus 33:18. Like he wanted more of God's yeah. glory. And so like we can get like we could enter into the that place of fear that no one else would even dare look at and that they didn't even want to hear from anymore. We could enter into it and then be like, "More. Like I want more right. of this. This is so good." Um, it's crazy. And then I think I've never maybe just like to, play, to play on the fear and fearless things. Like oftentimes we are afraid of obeying God's commands because we fear man and not God. Mm. Mm -hmm. It's like we there's a special fear we have. Of, this is what Philippians talks about. Like we fear man, but not God. We are afraid of acting against the culture or against our family systems, or we're afraid of uh, of even disobeying just the expectation of our churches when they're not biblical. You know, like we're afraid of, of people and their expectations to such an extent that we are fearful of obeying God's commands because we're, I'm trying, I'm getting confused now. No, no, no. But, you're making, you're actually making a lot of sense. I, I think oh, what you're saying is I love this, like, do we fear God or do we fear man? And like, that is going to determine what we obey. Like yes. if fear yes, of man, <laughs> yeah, it's just, no, you're being really helpful actually. Yeah. It's like fear of man is going to lead us to break God's commands. Fear of God is going to lead us to obey God's commands despite what man's are. Right. We will be fearless in obeying God's commands when we fear God alone. Mm -hmm. Yes. Right. Yeah. I think that's really helpful because I, I understand intuitively how my will is controlled by the fear of man. I can think of a social situation, right? Uh, and and I'm like, man, I really want to do this, but I'm not going to because that would make me look bad or, you know, so-and-so would judge me 
or I might get kicked out of this place. I understand that intuitively in social situations because of fear of man. And like, right. I can also understand how I can be afraid of man, but still be around all the people that I'm around, you know, be near them as we were right. talking about. Um, but I don't, yeah, but it's like, I don't know if I've, we don't think about God's constant gaze on us, mm -hmm. watching us and being like, will this action cause God to kick me out? You know, that's kind of right. what, that's the paradigm Israel is supposed to be living yeah. with. Um, but they weren't, they were, they ended up living with fear of man. Okay. So this might be a good place to end this episode. Yes. We didn't really dive into the specifics of the 10 commands. No, I think we the... should, I think we should start with chapter five next week. We'll so just, just this will be chapter four. This is chapter four and kind of like a sneak peek at the fear of God, which is mm -hmm. really talked about more in chapters five and six, but like, this is a helpful place as we move forward. Yep. So anyway, yeah. So we'll kick off with the 10 commandments round two next week. Uh, and uh, I'm excited yeah. about that. We haven't got to talk about the Ten Commandments in like half a year or longer. So it's about time. It's about time. <laughs> it's about time. <laughs> thank you. All right, everyone. Listening. Yep. Thank you for listening. And we will uh, we'll see you next week. Thank you for listening to the Spoken Gospel podcast. Spoken Gospel is a nonprofit dedicated to creating free gospel-centered media that speaks the gospel out of every corner of scripture. So to join us in our mission and view our resources, we invite you to visit SpokenGospel.com. Mm -hmm.